Exodus 20, verse 16. The ninth commandment. And it says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And then Exodus, or rather Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. We are members of one another. So the reading of God's word. Let's pray again together. Lord, we pray that you would help us to focus on your truth, your word, and that your spirit would enlighten our minds and our hearts to the wonderful things in your law and show us the riches of Christ. Help us to apply this commandment as we think about it tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but um, years ago, one thing that really got me upset was when someone told a lie about me. And uh, I felt like I was under character assassination, which that really does happen. Uh, I can recall at one place where I was employed back in the late 90s, early 2000s, something like that. Um, one lady in the office said some things about me that were untrue, and she happened to be married to the boss who was over the whole branch where I worked. And uh, in addition to saying some things that were untrue about me, she also gave them reasons as to why I did what I did. And she was completely wrong. And I just, I, I boiled over and and uh, I got upset with her, and I had to go back and ask for forgiveness. Uh, but by God's grace, um, that doesn't get under my skin so much anymore, as um, I realize I'm walking with God and before God, and I'm called to be faithful, and being a faithful follower of Christ means that sometimes these things will happen to me, like they happen to our Savior. Um, but as we talk about Falsehood, speaking the truth, or what the commandment requires, not telling a lie, or more specifically, not bearing false witness against your neighbor. I want us to think about the original context in which this law was given. I want us also to think about the main principle of the command, what it is that God does require from us as His people. And then I want to try to answer the question, is it ever okay to tell a lie? Even a little white lie. And so you want to pay attention and be thinking and praying about that as we discuss it here in a minute. <clears throat> Remember that this commandment, just like all nine of the others, uh, were given in the context after Israel's salvation. God brought them out of Egypt. He delivered them by His mighty hand, brought them to Sinai, gave them His law. And so again, it's not a means of works. It's not a ladder to heaven. The Ten Commandments were given, yes, to show us our sin, but also they were given to God's redeemed people as a way of life. God was saying, I've saved you, now live this way. Be holy. Why? Because I'm holy. I'm your God. You are to Im imitate God in His actions, His ethics, His holiness, His purity. And so when it comes to this commandment, it's clear, I think it's clear, that the context deals with uh, the court of law because it's talking about being a witness. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And in Exodus chapter 23, 
um, it gives further indication that this is the immediate uh, application of that commandment. It says in Exodus 23.1, You shall not circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. See, God is about justice. God is just. And He is concerned that even down here on earth that courts execute justice. I mean, that goes back to civil, civil magistrate, right? Romans 13 and its whole purpose there to uh, protect those who do good and punish those who do evil. And so that's the immediate context. Given God's people, the assumption there is that God's people... Uh, you know, those of the covenant community will sin, they will commit crimes and so forth, they will go to the court of law, and when that happens they are to tell the truth, they're not to lie and bear false witness against their neighbors um, now, as far as the law, remember in Romans 7 Paul says the law is spiritual, it does address the heart, and so when we think about the two greatest commandments Matthew 22 uh, Jesus says we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength. The second commandment is likened to it. We shall love our neighbors as ourselves. For all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments or these two things. And so we are to, to obey from the heart. That is our perspective is that we are obeying God by doing what he requires here. And it is to be out of the motive of love for God and love towards our neighbors. And so it doesn't surprise us then. It shouldn't. If we look elsewhere in the Bible, for instance, in 1 Timothy 6, 4, where it talks about evil suspicion, even evil suspicion about another is forbidden. And uh, rash judging, 1 Samuel 1, Eli, he saw Hannah, remember she's praying to God silently and her mouth was moving and, and he thought that she was drunk. He was assuming she was drunk and love believes all things. Love gives another person the benefit of the doubt. And our larger catechism brings these things to bear. And so the, the scope of the commandment is broad, it's deep, it applies in many different circumstances, and it is to come from the heart. And so remember Israel, as God's people, were given this commandment, and Israel was to be a light unto the nations. Remember in Exodus 19 and verse 6, he says to them, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So, Israel was God's light to the world. To be a testimony of His grace, His goodness, His power, His might, His salvation to the nations. And uh, we, today, the church, the new Israel, in 1 Peter 2 are called the same thing. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. We're a kingdom of priests. And so God has given this commandment even to us today to be a witness to others as we obey Him, to be a light to the Gentiles. Um, so Israel, they were given this commandment by their God, who is a holy God. And it's impossible, remember, for God to lie, Hebrews 6.18. And therefore, as He says, for they are to be holy just as He is holy. And so they are not to lie because He cannot lie. And the same is true for us today. And so then, what is the main principle of this commandment? The main principle 
of this commandment is the preservation of the truth. The commandment, you shall not kill, the main principle there is the preservation of life. And here it's the preservation of the truth. And so God puts it in the negative again, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not lie. And again, this applies specifically within the context of law and in the courts, but also generally and broadly between man and man, neighbor and neighbor. After all, if we're going to love our neighbor, we're going to do unto them what we would have them do unto us, right? The golden rule. And so we don't assassinate their character. We don't lie and spread falsehoods about them. And so it's about preserving the truth promoting the truth. Again, our larger catechism expounds upon this. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, just to mention some of the applications from Scripture as far as what it requires. Um, Speaking the truth and only the truth. Loving, desiring, and rejoicing in the good name of our neighbors. Sorrowing for and covering of their infirmities, our neighbors' infirmities. Defending their innocency. Discouraging talebearers and flatterers. And so, on the flip side, it requires certain things from us, such as all prejudicing the truth and the good name of our neighbors, as well as our own, especially in public judicature in the courts, giving false evidence. Here's one speaking the truth unseasonably. Um, there's place and time for everything under the sun, right? And we have to understand what the Scriptures mean and how we apply those things in our lives. The God of truth requires truth from His people, from all men. And so God wants us to preserve the truth. And when you think about it, Jesus prays to His Father. He says, your word is truth. That's why His word has been recorded or inscripturated for us. You know, even when you go back and look at the first chapter on the Westminster Confession, it talks about God's truth being recorded and given to His church. So God is concerned about the promotion and preservation of the truth. And so, that is the, the commandment, in a nutshell, simply put. And I want to explore for a moment this, this question, is it ever okay to tell a lie. Um, There are men on both sides of this issue, uh, men who hold different answers, even Reformed Christian men who hold different views. I remember listening to John Gershner, and I want to try to go off into an impression of John Gershner, but I'll spare you. He's going to be with the Lord. He had a very raspy, crusty old man voice, and he was really R.C. Sproul's mentor. Um... And he's like, is it okay to lie? Well, sure, I tell a lie every time I play chess or I play sports. I try to deceive my opponent. And so he'd use that. You know, if you go to war, you're, you're deceiving your enemy and all of those things. And so there's that. But then there's you know, the reformed guy, John Murray, Scottish Presbyterian. He wrote a book called, what's it called? I forgot Principles of Ethics or something like that. But it's a book on ethics. And in there he talks about the sanctity of truth. Principles of conduct. 
and uh, the sanctity of truth, and he takes the position, and I agree with him, that it is never necessary for a Christian to lie, and it's never permissible for a Christian to lie. There is this thing in the theological world called the lie of necessity. That in order to, for the greater good, in order to preserve life, to protect the church of Christ, perhaps all this, you may tell a lie. So why would I take that position that that's wrong? Well, um, you know, if I have something in common with Islam, that doesn't mean that it's wrong. Um, You know, they say it's okay to lie too under certain circumstances. Uh, But John Murray, he asked these two questions. I think they're helpful for us to think about. He asked, first of all, may we under any circumstances utter what we know to be untrue, what we believe to be false? May we ever speak something that is not true, something that we even believe is false? Is that permissible? Second, he asked, are we always under obligation to declare what we know or believe to be true? There's two different questions dealing with this broader question, may we ever tell a lie? And hopefully I'll come back to that. Um, I think the answer that he would give to the first question, may we ever utter what we know to be untrue, his answer would be no. To the second one, are we always under the obligation to declare what we know to believe to be true, he would say no. We owe the truth to whom the truth is due. But let me begin by talking about Christ and this commandment. Think about this. Jesus, of course, is the one in Revelation 3-7 who is called holy and what? True. In John 14-6, he says, I and I alone, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And of course, in 1 Peter 2.22, it's quoting the Old Testament, it says about Christ, there is no deceit found in His mouth. When you think about that, it's interesting that as Christians, um, Romans 8.28 has that wonderful promise, God causes all things to work together for good to them who love God and are called according to His purpose. Then in the next verse, he talks about what that is, to conform us to the image of Christ. And that doesn't mean if Jesus had very long hair, whatever, that, I'm, that we're all going to have long hair. We're going to look like we're Middle Eastern, Jewish. No, it means our character. We're going to be eventually sinless. But right now, God is sanctifying us, using things in our lives to mold us, to shape us, to be like Jesus, to walk like Him. And what the way He walked is that He didn't lie. There was no deceit found in His mouth. And then, of course, there are all these commandments to commandment as we just read um, Zechariah 8 16 and 17 says these are the things you shall do speak each man the truth to his neighbor give judgment in your gates for truth justice and peace let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor and do not love a false oath for all these things are the things that I hate says the Lord someone might say well you're not supposed to love a false oath We're not supposed to love a lie, but sometimes you just might have to do it and tell it. Well, what about games? I was talking with some before the service about this. Yesterday I saw um, one of our youth, almost six foot tall now, 
He's growing like a weed. Running in flip-flops. The boys are playing football. And uh, he acted like he was going to cut this way. And I'm told this is called a juke when he does that. Then he cuts to the, the other direction. Fakes out his opponent. Deceives his opponent. Runs around. Makes a touchdown. And flip-flops. Pretty amazing. But that's a juke. And so the intent is to deceive your opponent. What about that? Is that wrong? Um, what if I conceal carry? I'm not at the moment. What if I conceal carry a gun? Is that deceit? Is that lying? Am I obligated to tell everyone that sees me, I'm concealing a gun? Or is that one of those things that I owe the truth to whom the truth is due? The officer, for instance, who pulls me over when I'm concealing a firearm. What about the tactics of tactics of war? There's AI in the Old Testament, Joshua's conquest of them, and, and Murray takes that up. And I don't know that I agree with him as the way he works that out. But he does say this, to quote him again, he says, the injunctions of Scripture, which bear directly on the demands for truthfulness, have reference to speech or utterance. And I take that distinction and apply it to the commandment. So if someone's in the art of war, outmaneuvering his opponent, I don't think that's a violation of the commandment. If you juke your opponent in football, I don't think that's a violation of the commandment. And I think these things are important. We're talking about the law of God, His commandments. Now some will say, what about those Old Testament examples? And I'm not going to go through them all. Others have done this. But I'll give a few of the popular ones. And before I do that, let me just say a couple of things. It would seem in the Old Testament, perhaps, that God's people deceived others. They lied. And that they are commended for it. The Hebrew midwives. Rahab the harlot. Okay, But... While it is true that God has dealt with such people favorably and has blessed them in some way who have appeared to have used deceit, it does not follow that God blessed them for that reason. Such individuals exercised faith and it is for that reason that they are blessed by God's grace. They believe God and they exercised faith. And so we must see that when such individuals are commended in Scripture, that such a commendation is not a blanket, a blanket endorsement of all their activities. So if we look at Rahab and we see what she did, she lied, but she hid the spies and sent them on their way. And uh, we say, okay, in Hebrews 11, uh, she's in the hall of faith. God commends her for, for what she did. Therefore, he's commending her for her lie. Therefore, in certain situations, it is okay and permissible for a Christian to lie. We, we can't come to that conclusion. It might be a little bit different, but it's, it's not far removed from looking at David and seeing what the Bible says about David in 1 Samuel 13, 14, that he was a man after God's own heart. And uh, David committed adultery. Therefore, it's okay to commit adultery. Now, that might be a little bit of a stretch, but the, the fallacy, I think, is, is close to that. Um, John Fesco um, 
If you don't know who he is, he used to be in our presbytery. He teaches at Reformed Seminary. He said this, Scripture commends the Hebrew midwives and Rahab for their faith, but not the way in which their faith was manifest. Now let's talk for a minute about Rahab, just so you know. In Joshua 2, she hid the two spies. The two um, spies. She lied about it to the king's men. She obviously gave the king's men false information in order to mislead them. And that's what we're told in Joshua 2. And in Hebrews 11.31, it says, By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And in James 2.25, he asked, Was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? So for what reason or reasons is Rahab commended in Scripture? She's commended because she received the spies and sent them on their way. And she did that because of her faith in God. So she's commended for her faith in God. By the way, James 2, when it talks about works there, justified by works, that's a different use of justification. He's saying that her faith is being proven. It's shown to be true because of her works. That's the point of James 2. We aren't saved by our works. We're saved by God's grace through faith in Christ. So I hope you can go back and look at Rahab and see, okay, she had faith. She did a good thing. She took the spies and she hid them. She sent them on her way. And yet she lied. She spoke falsehood to the authorities uh, in Canaan. Now when it comes to the Hebrew midwives, remember the Israelites were growing and multiplying and multiplying and the, the king of Egypt says, you know, hey, we've got to take care of this problem. Uh, you midwives, you Hebrew midwives, when it comes time for the children to be born if they're male, I want you to kill them. They didn't do it. And so when asked as to why they, they didn't do it, the Hebrew midwives said, well, the Israelite women, they're not like Egyptian women. In fact, they are lively and they give birth before the midwives come to them. And so right after that, in Exodus chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, it says God dealt well with the midwives. And it seems to imply uh, that God commends their response to Pharaoh. Now think about this. It doesn't mean, though, that they spoke a lie. It could have been that their reply was true. It could have been true. We aren't told that it wasn't true. That the Hebrew wives gave birth quickly. Um, then, even if they lied, if it wasn't true, there's no endorsement or approval of their lie in Scripture. Let me go back to the tactics of war. Um, John Murray says that Joshua's deception in Joshua 8, 3 through 29, is not really deception. And I don't know if I agree with that with Murray, but I've already given you the answer to that. I don't think it's dealing with words there. I think the issue is utterance, what we speak and what we say. Um, 
When it comes to concealed carry, we owe the truth to whom the truth is due. That's what we have to figure out, I think. I owe the truth to the law. Romans 13. As long as they are being lawful in their governing over me. What about? Okay, this is where the rubber really meets the road. You know, we talk about vaccines. Um, you know, I'm not condemning you if you've gotten a vaccine. I know people who have. Um, some do not want the vaccine for good reasons, if those reasons, in fact, are true. But when the government says, you must take the vaccine, we're talking about tyranny. And so what am I to do if, if, if first of all, as a Christian, I, I'm convinced that there are things in the vaccine that are just ungodly. Number two, I don't know what it's going to do to me. When you look at the evidence, I have all these chances of maybe this happening or that happening. And I don't want the, 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 the shock. And someone comes through the door and says, Hi, we are from the government. We're here to help you. Have you been vaccinated? Am I forced to make a decision? I must tell the truth and say no or yes or lie. Tell them, no, I haven't been vaccinated. Am I forced to make that decision? That's called the false alternative. And so in other words, if that were to happen to me, I would, I would say that's, that's none of your, your business. That's between me and my doctor, right? I thought we had laws about this. And depending on what hill you wanted to die on, you could just say that's not your information to have. Uh, but there are more serious things. What if, what if the state uh, became a anti-Christian, more of an anti-Christian state, and persecution broke out? And so they were knocking on your door, like, you know, it's happened in our lifetime in other countries, but are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Um, and, and it's the state. I think in that situation, I owe them the truth. Because Jesus says what? If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my heavenly Father. And so we need to go back and read, you know, the good books, the Scottish worthies, Fair Sunshine. Five English Reformers by J.C. Ryle so we can be encouraged because when persecution came, God, by the power of His Spirit, sustained His people and even enabled them to go to the stake. Now, just quickly, I mean it quickly, let me give several reasons, maybe, maybe six reasons as to why I think we are never allowed to tell a lie as Christians. First one is that the so-called lie of necessity is the false alternative. Either I tell the truth and someone dies, or I die, or someone lives. I can tell the truth or tell a lie and live. Well, um, we have counterexamples of this in, in history, right? Corrie ten Boom, her sister. The Nazis came and said, where are they? Where are you hiding the Jews? She points right there. That's an, if you haven't studied that, there's, there's actually a, a special on Amazon about it. You ought to see it sometime. How in God's providence, her family bought this house and it was added on two multiple times. And because it was, it was kind of stacked. The levels were staggered. So they were able to hide people in a place where the authorities would never think they would be. And so her sister said, actually, they're right there. And she was telling the truth 
And they looked, they looked at the floor. Okay, they're not there. And so they moved on. She told the truth. God spared the Jewish people hidden in their house. Or, in 1950, uh, there was Kim Duck Su, who was the son of a Korean Presbyterian minister. And uh, Korea was um, heavy with communist troops. This Presbyterian Korean minister had taught his son it was never okay to tell a lie. And so a soldier came and asked him in North Korea, are you a Christian? Well, what's going to happen if I say yes? Communism and Christianity cannot coexist. And he said, "Um, yes, I'm a Christian. So the captain drew closer. He said, I'm a Christian too. I used to teach Sunday school before the war. You must escape tonight and I will help you. You never know what opportunity the Lord might have. But also we realize that if we tell the truth, we might go to the stake or the gas chamber or whatever it could be. And then just for fun, there's Athanasius. He lived in the 400s, the 5th century. Um, He was, remember, at um, Council of Nicaea. We talk about the Athanasian Creed. Um, Great man of faith. Well, he was running from the political ruler Julian because um, he was in trouble with the state. So he got on a little boat, was going down the Nile, and uh, Julian pursued him. He sent his soldiers after Athanasius. And uh, they had a faster canoe or boat, whatever you want to call it. And they were catching up with Athanasius. They yelled from the boat to him. They didn't know it was him, by the way. Have you seen Athanasius? And this is what he said. He said, yes, I have. He is just ahead of you. And if you hurry, you shall overtake him. And so the soldiers fled past Athanasius. And we're never seen again by them. Now that's a little iffy, isn't it? Because did he intend to deceive? That's, that's an issue there as well. Another reason is um, because Old Testament believers are never commended for lying. In fact, they often pray that lying be put far from them. David, for instance, in Psalm 119, 29, says, Remove from me the way of lying. Uh, in Proverbs 13, 5, it says, The righteous hates lying. Proverbs 6, 17, a proud look, a lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood. These are the things the Lord hates. Fourth reason would be, again, God is conforming us to Christ's image. And the biblical record is that Christ had no deceit found in his mouth. And by the way, it could be that following Christ means that we suffer in this life, that we sometimes are persecuted. Yes, it can and has meant in times past that people are killed and murdered for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He said you must be willing to take up your cross. To deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. 1 Peter 2, 21 says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. 1 Peter was written under the context of Christian persecution. We're to follow in his steps. There's no deceit in his mouth. Reason number five, we may never break any of God's God's commandments. That good may come, right? I mean, think about the logic here. If it's okay for us to break the ninth commandment so that good may come, 
Why is it not okay then to break the first commandment? Why can we not commit idolatry so that good may come? Or break the second commandment? Change the way we worship God and actually bow down to an object or take God's name in vain or commit adultery so that good may come? doesn't make sense. Some will say, hey, well, Jesus broke the Sabbath. He and his disciples did. The scriptures actually say that. But my, my question is, did he really break the Sabbath? Because I think Jesus rescued the Sabbath from the Pharisees. It was given for man. Man was not made for the Sabbath. And so it's okay to commit acts of necessity and mercy on the Christian Sabbath. If Jesus did break the commandment, we're doomed to hell, by the way. The Scripture said He didn't sin. And He was to be the lamb without spot or blemish. So we praise God He didn't break the commandments. Um, number six, when Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees in John chapter 8, He said that Satan is the father of lies. In Acts 5, 3, question was asked by Peter, um, why has Satan filled your heart, Ananias, to lie to the Holy Spirit? And then last, we are called to live up to the standard of right and wrong as God Himself. 1 Peter 2.9, the Old Testament, Leviticus, God says, be holy for I am holy. And so as we think about this commandment, I want all of us to pause and to think and to weigh what God would have us do in very difficult situations. If a very difficult situation comes your way. You may have to determine to whom is the truth due. And second, I hope that we'll all be passionate about the truth. Passionate about Christ Himself who is the way and the truth. But the truth in general, as we read from Ephesians 4, we're to put off lying and we're to put on the new man which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another. If we are to be agents of God's truth, the truth of the Gospel, the Gospel truth, why would we want to lie? to someone who theoretically could one day become a Christian. And then last, look to Christ. Because Peter draws upon Christ time and again. If anybody knew the forgiveness of Jesus, it was Peter who, who denied Christ and, and spoke untruth. But then Pentecost came. Jesus restored Peter. Pentecost came later and he was strengthened and he finally wrote this in times of persecution. In 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 22, he says, It was Jesus who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in His mouth, who when He was reviled, did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but committed Himself to Him who judges rightly, who Himself bore our sins in His own body, on the tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness. So he says, Christ died for us. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. It says, No deceit was found in his mouth. How did he do this? He says, But he committed himself to him 
who judges righteously. In order to have faith and to do what is right, even when doing what is right is difficult and can cause you your life as it did the Lord Jesus, we have to believe in God and trust the living and true God to commit ourselves to Him who judges righteously. We have to think of the whole game here as it were. But there's a day of judgment. And so with that, let us be people who love and speak the truth. Amen. Father, we thank You for being the God who is true. That You've given us Your truth in Your Word so that we may know it. Even when it hurts, it brings healing. It leads us to repentance, to conviction and then repentance. And then obedience. But Lord, we would never have that opportunity if Jesus would have spoken falsehood if Jesus had not trusted you and gone to the cross. So we thank you for that. And we pray that we would speak the most glorious truth of all, that he is our Lord, that he is our Savior. We pray in his name. Amen.